Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Deirdre Bosa. Uh, today, New Year, same trade, bullish calls on the chips from the street. AMD, Micron, Marvell, and Qualcomm are all getting a boost. Later on, Tesla kicking off 2022 with a bang. Why that stock is up more than 9% on the first trading day of the year. Finally, Verizon and AT&T say no to regulators. Is a 5G rollout coming your way soon, D? Well, Carl, our feed starts with chip stocks. Goldman Sachs today includes Micron, AMD, and Marvell Tech among its top stock picks for 2022, while Piper Sandler says Qualcomm could see huge gains. Now, the sector's already coming off a big year, easily outperforming the S&P, thanks to huge demand contributing uh, during a continued global shortage. One analyst this morning says that there is more to come, John, predicting chip sales will grow more than 10% this year. And yes, it outperformed the past year, 2021, but it's actually the third consecutive year, John, that chips have outperformed. Well, Carl, D, first, happy new year. Great to be back with you. I, I think this is a time where we've got to really <laughs> emphasize the difference between stock performance and financial performance of a company. Because I think there's this tendency to always assume, oh, what happened yesterday is baseline. So if a company does well, then the stock ought to go up. Or if it doesn't do well, the stock ought to go down. We are just in uncharted territory now, coming through this pandemic, the demand for tech uh, still in the pandemic with Omicron, the demand for uh, consumer technologies and office technologies and cloud technologies to keep things running. But then at the same time, with what the Fed is signaling uh, and interest rates perhaps cooling some of the the, the loftiest valuations out there. So it's going to be really interesting conversations, I think, that we're having with analysts and with technology watchers about where the value really is and perhaps, Carl, uh, you know, what's been beaten down that deserves to come back. Yeah, it's going to be a complex trade, John. You're absolutely right. You got the macro concerns, which you referenced regarding the Fed and a lot more. But also, even within the Goldman call this morning, uh, D, uh, they're, they're, it's, they're doing the barbell yeah. thing where, on the one hand, there's huge secular growth stories like AMD. On the other hand, there might be value in cyclical growth with autos. So they, so they upgrade a Micron and, a, and an on-semi. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it, there's going to be a lot of crosswinds to read within chips themselves. It- yeah, it's time to get discerning, right, John? That seems to be the trend here. You've got to look for bargains in the space now because uh, there's a lot of disparity in terms of those multiples throughout MU. Micron is one of the more cheaper valued. Also, John, you spent a lot of time talking about Pat Gelsinger over at Intel, also among some of the sort of cheaper chip stocks. And when you say you have to sort of distinguish between the stock price and the financial performance, certainly that's the case uh, with And Intel, after 10 years of sort of struggling, it's going to take some time to turn that chip around. Well, but I think part of the question is, how well does, say, Intel have to do 
to go higher from here versus how well does an AMD or a Qualcomm have to do? Yeah. I mean, if Intel maintains a pulse, you know, if it can run a 10-minute mile, then, uh, then, then <laughs> some people bar. are going to get excited. Whereas, you know, some of these other stocks have sort of Usain Bolt uh, built in. Well, let's talk more about that. Does today's market opportunity uh, in tech lie in chips or elsewhere? New Street Advisors founder and CEO Delano Sapporo joins us now. Uh, good morning. Great to have you. So it seems to me 2022, you got to be wary of the crowded trades, right? And mega cap tech has been crowded. Some of the chips are crowded. Uh, why are you excited about those? Thanks for having me, John and, and Carl and Deidre. Um, I think there's a few reasons. And you mentioned some of the headwinds that are at front uh, for a lot of the, the growth plays and kind of the mega cap plays. But, you know, if you look at it, you know, fundamentally, some of the mega caps that have obviously performed really, really well throughout 2021 um, outside of maybe Amazon, who kind of lagged, there still is some, some great strong points for them. Obviously, on the earnings front, obviously, on the cash flow front, the ability to get inorganic growth from purchases and acquisitions, that's obviously going to be a strong thing. And if you look at it from a standpoint of those are also oftentimes look as defensive as they are the biggest mega cap trades are all the biggest in the market, right? So they are what is pulling up the indexes in a lot of cases. I still think there's room for growth. If you're looking at some of the longer term bets that these companies are making, you know, investors have bowed well to being in these trades for the last few years. And I think that trend continues in 2022, John. So strategically distinguish for me between financial performance and stock performance, right? How much risk is there to the downside, even for these mega cap names, mega cap names which might be relatively defensive? Uh, should investors be prepared to just pile into those now, wait for pullbacks? What? That's a great, great point. I think you know investors. One, if they're not already holding these positions, should potentially wait for pullbacks. If you look at an example like Tesla, obviously they had a great, um, they had a great report there with their deliveries, and, and that's a stock that a lot of people have obviously argued um, the valuation, right? But if you look at the price, uh, look at the chart. Um, you know, the bulls and the people that are behind that stock for a while have obviously been winning. So investors really need to be careful when they're understanding, you know, their thesis, um, especially if you're someone that's trading these uh, trading these stocks. But if you're looking at it from a fundamental standpoint, especially for a lot of these mega cap names, a lot of that, you know, price, a lot of what's priced in now has not already been priced, especially for the future of a lot of these companies. So, um, you know, from our standpoint, we're long term investors. So we like uh, a lot of these names, John. You know, it sounds like, Delano, that you're not really freaked out by the Fed as a tech investor. Why not? That's a great question, Kyle. And I think, you know, it, we, the Fed has really been a great job communicating to the market. Um, and I think that's one of the big things that investors are looking for is it's kind of a direction in what's happening. And the communication has been great from the standpoint of rent rates would raise, when tapering would happen. And I think that's ease investors, especially someone like myself. Um, and so, you know, those things are, are big that we price in and we look for. Uh, but we also looking for other areas uh, of growth. As in a growth investor, obviously I'm looking in the public markets, but I also want to take things to the early stage of private markets. And we're doing that research and diligence. Um, so there's still going to be awful to be made in 2022. I think so what we've had over the last two years have been, you know, incredible performance of the market. So we can't expect that um, in 2022. But I think there's still still a lot mm -hmm. to be gained as far as momentum in the market. Right. Delano, at the same time, over the last few months with the Fed sort of gearing up for tightening, uh, we have seen a discrepancy within tech. What does it mean? Is good communication enough to stop the bleeding and some of these high growth momentum ARC ETF names that we have seen over the last few months. 
That's a great, great question. And you've seen, you know, some of the ARC names go down and we've had smaller positions in them and definitely sold some of those positions as well as, you know, bought at, at right areas. But I think those are going to be hidden if you're just crowding into those names just because you've seen a lot of folks, especially some, you know, not to, to pick on people, retail investors that have done that. Um, they've actually bared some pain in that in that area. Right. But diversification is important. So if you're looking in 2022, a lot of people are saying cyclicals will perform well. So if you have that barbell strategy and you're well diversified, you should be insulated uh, from just taking hits in, in high growth names because there are going to be headwinds in 2022 for high growth names. But if you are well diversified, you'd, you'd vote well here, Deirdre. Well, you know, I, I'm on the record as saying I think metaverse is a bad theme. I, I think it's lumping together some good themes with some things that are just that don't make sense yet. But what, what do you think are the most important themes that will actually deliver in 2022? So if investors are looking through and trying to figure out which stocks are worth investing in, um, which themes in terms of the technology that they have and they're able to actually execute and deliver on should investors be looking at? Yeah, that's a great point, John, because, you know, a lot of the buzzwords that we've seen, especially with Metaverse and, and Web3 and all those areas, they're still not commercialized. They're still not heavily adopted. And obviously, these ideas still need to take place, shape and form, um, especially with your team, the infrastructure. That's why we're going into the early stage markets. But I do think, you know, you'll see a lot with the Metaverse. You're seeing a lot of, you know, obviously the top minds shift their focus there. Obviously, with Mark Zuckerberg, you know, shifting the focus of Facebook, with Jack Dorsey shifting his focus away from Twitter. So I do think there's a lot of opportunity, right? So that's an area where you're going to see niche communities and, and the metaverse is going to be able to see niche communities grow and build and do things together. So I do think there's a lot of opportunity there, but there's a lot of commercialization and adoption and infrastructure building that needs to be done. I also think if you're looking at virtual and gaming and, and some digital currency, that's an area I like. Um, you're seeing Roblox as a pure play in the public markets. Um, they're doing their Robux platform, obviously the Roblox platform, having Robux being used uh, with real money for virtual Virtual currency, that's something I want to see take more shape as well. But these themes, you know, are really exciting. But you are right. They still need to be built out and adoption needs to happen to see the market fully, fully materialize, John. Lots of wood to chop, even if it's virtual wood. Delano Soporo, thank you. The New Street. <laughs> thank you, guys. We'll take a look at one of today's biggest movers, and that is, of course, Tesla. Look at this, surging more than 10 percent. Record deliveries taking that stock higher this morning. Phil Lebeau, uh has more on what to expect from Tesla in 2022. And, uh, Phil, we're barely at a million, not far from it. Adam Jonas already contemplating, looking at the, how realistic two million is for this year. Right. And I think, Deirdre, we're going to see the estimates for 2022 sales they're going to go up, the delivery expectations. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's recap the numbers for the fourth quarter and for all of 2021, because you're right. They were far better than anybody was expecting. In fact, when you compare them with the estimates, they're so far above. You sit there and say, did anybody expect them to do this well in the fourth quarter and in 2021? And take a look at these numbers. They delivered 308,600 vehicles. The best estimate that I saw going into yesterday was for 295,000 for the year, just over 936,000, well above the expectation of just under 900,000. Like we've seen in the past couple of quarters, 95% of the deliveries, Model 3s and Model Y. So when you take a look at the 2021 deliveries, they were up 87% compared to 2020. Remember, the goal is to hit 20 million, 20 million in annual sales by 2030. So they're doing better than expected in terms of annual growth. And that's the thing that people need to keep in mind in terms of when you look at 
where they are at. Elon Musk tweeting out great work by the Tesla team worldwide. Now the question becomes, what do we expect for 2022 and what's Wall Street expecting? Deliveries, the estimate right now is 1.34 million. By the way, that's just an increase of 48% compared to 2021. If they hit the target of at least 50%, and by the way, that's an average over several years, then it would be closer to 1.4 million. You've got the two gigafactories in Texas and Germany coming online. And will we get new model updates? Many expect Elon Musk to talk about that when the company does its fourth quarter financials at the end of this month or early next month. As you take a look at shares of Tesla, remember, Deutsche Bank, RBC, JP Morgan, they've all raised their estimates in terms of what to expect when the Q4 numbers come out. I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, new estimates from other analysts as well. And again, guys, The 50% growth in deliveries on an annual basis, Deirdre, that's an average over several years when they said that's going to be our benchmark. So it's it's not that they're saying every single year it'll be at least 50%. We expect to average that over a several-year time frame. Right. At the same time, Phil, we see, you know, 2022 start with Wall Street once again sort of catching up with Tesla. And as someone who's covered this company for so long, I just wonder, does that surprise you that estimates were all lower? I mean, this is now more than one trillion dollar company. Elon Musk just continues to beat expectations. Are you surprised that at this point still uh, the street is underestimating in terms of those delivery numbers? I am surprised. And here's why. When it happened in the third quarter and they showed that they are managing the chip crisis better than almost every other automaker in the world, you saw a lot of analysts saying, "Okay, now we need to sort of readjust how we believe Tesla can handle this situation and its ability to ramp up production when so many others were not able to do that. And I thought that we would see uh, estimates being a little bit closer to the actual numbers. The fact that these were so far above really has to make you wonder if Wall Street is not fully appreciating how quickly Tesla is bringing these vehicles to market and the ability to ramp up to meet demand. It's a great point, Phil. Uh, sets it up beautifully here. Uh, let's stick with Tesla and bring in Webbush's Dan Ives, who says demand in China is a big part of today's surge. Uh, Dan, good morning. Uh, you do say... Um, The delivery numbers were jaw-dropping, hard to poke holes in, and a major feather in the cap of the bulls on Monday morning. Look, this was what I call almost a trophy case quarter because 275 was really what I thought the top of the bull case in terms of what they could hit. We think it was 200,000 alone that they delivered in the month of December. You look at the trajectory now between China as well as globally going forward. I mean, we could be looking now 1.5, 1.6 million units for 2022. And that's why it just continues to be that scale and scope, what we're seeing in Tesla beyond, you know, what even the bull case, the haters will continue to hate, but you look at these numbers, I think gives a lot of momentum in 2022. Yeah. Some of your peers on the street are arguing maybe 2 million, Dan, is possible for the year, um, maybe a, a stretch target, but one that looks a lot more realistic given uh, this print. Yeah, I mean, if you look at specifically the run rate in China, you know, two million, it, it's not out of the zone in terms of what they could ultimately hit. And then you do have the chip shortage. That took out, in our opinion, probably about twenty-five to 30,000 units in the quarter. So you start to add that with the chip shortage easing into first half of the you know, 2022 now, I think this is really just the start of what I view as almost the next leg of the Tesla story. And just importantly, 
that gross margin story and the profitability, that's what I believe is going to be a big part of, we have a base case 1400, bull case 1800. Speaking of the next leg of the Tesla story, Dan, what do you think uh, could be a surprise for investors this year? Does it happen around FSD, full self-driving, risk perhaps as well, opportunity? Yeah, it's a great question. I think two things. First, Austin and Berlin getting on board is key because that, that ultimately could double capacity over the next year. I think it's going to be about battery technology. I, mean, I think you start to really significantly lower the cost that's going to be just more and more of a margin benefit for Tesla. So expect another battery day for Tesla. And you look at that competitive moot. We don't view this as a zero-sum game. I mean, there's a green tidal wave, $5 trillion of opportunity over the next decade. But Tesla, you get the supercharger network, battery technology, and that scale, that continues to differentiate them from other competitors. So, Dan, broaden this out to the broader EV space then. Who else are the winners this year? Is that the newer players like Lucid and Rivian, can they ramp up, get their production right? Or do you think it's the legacy automakers like Ford and GM that are going to be providing competition for Tesla? Yeah, I think it's the 313 area code. I think you look at Ford and GM specifically. I think those are ones that could really see a re-rating in the stock. They have the distribution. you got the vertical integration. Everything Farley's done at Ford. And I think what Mary will start to do you know, over at GM, you look at Rivian, it's been one of our favorite pure plays, but it all comes down to scale. And, and that's why when, when we look at this quarter, the reason I call it a trophy case, given the chip shortage, what Tesla's able to do, despite some of the shortages and battery component shortages, it, it, it's really off the charts. And I think it just shows you'll have competition across the board, comes down to scale. And that's why Tesla, I think, continues to be a stock that could re-rate further, potentially $30 of earnings power by 2025. Hey, finally, Dan, um, even if they are in a pole position uh, going through the year, as new competition comes online, do you think they have to ramp up marketing expense? I mean, would that be material to the model right now? Yeah, and that's always been something that they're never going to do formal marketing. I think for them, it's really going to be about getting cards into customers' hands. I know over the weekend, a few EVs sent emails, potentially not till 2023 in terms of you know, those that made reservations, that's going to be the key. Never formal marketing, but it's about ultimately that scalability. And that's why Austin and Berlin are key. And we think China's worth $500 per share of the story. Fascinating. Uh, certainly uh, the way that uh, Musk would want to start the year, uh, Dan. Uh, and a great note. Appreciate it as always. Dan Ives, see you soon. Thank you. Coming up, PayPal gets an upgrade, Consumer Tech Week kicks off, and Twitter bans another politician for spreading misinformation. Tech Check is just getting started. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.
Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to Tech Check. Time for a gut check on PayPal. BMO is bullish on the stock to kick off the new year. Takes it to an outperformance, says there's an 18 percent upside in 2022. And it's all about valuation here. The back end of last year saw shares of PayPal slip almost 30 percent, leading to BMO calling today's price an attractive entry point. John, it is up about 5 percent over the last month or so and actually outperforming some of the other names like Block, formerly Square. Yeah, interesting. Speaking of interesting, we are kicking off 2022 with Consumer Tech Week, looking at the mainstream technologies that are going to have the biggest impact this year and what the investing implications might be. Artificial intelligence and graphics technologies are key battlegrounds, with Apple expected to move its entire Mac line to its custom silicon this year, and Amazon continuing to push robotics into homes for convenience and security. We're going to have Amazon SVP Dave Limp and AMD CEO Lisa Su joining us tomorrow on that. Auto technology is accelerating as the same innovations that fueled the mobile and cloud revolutions of the past decade merge into what's historically been a slower moving space. Qualcomm CEO Cristiano Amon joins us Wednesday with that. And for those working from home, leaving the car in the driveway, hybrid work is keeping home office productivity in the spotlight. HP Inc. CEO Enrique Loris is going to join us Wednesday as well. Then whether it's webcams, audio, gaming technologies, accessories, it's all been booming as a source of flexibility. Logitech CEO Bracken Darrell is going to be with us Thursday on that. And on Friday, we take the pulse of health tech with Abbott CEO Robert Ford as the world is more attuned than ever to the need for rapid tests and better ways of monitoring health, guys. CES might not have the same traffic that it normally does, Carl, but we've got a lot of focus for investors this week on what's important in consumer tech. Yep. I mean, uh, it's nice to have it back. Maybe not, as you said, at full strength, D, but companies continue to innovate whether they're in the office or not, and they're going to have to find (laughs) ways to communicate that innovation to the consumer. This is primarily how you do it through shows like this. Yeah, and and perhaps setting the tone this year, right? A lot of the participants now attending virtually. Uh, As we know, we've got more companies, more offices keeping their workers from home. So it makes a lot of these trends continue to be relevant, you know, almost years after the pandemic began. Yeah, we got, hey, GM, GM as well. I forgot to mention that. Phil LeBeau bringing us that. Speaking of auto tech, it's not just Qualcomm. It's going to be an exciting week. Yeah. And John, what remind me about the big conferences that you normally hit during the course of the year. Barcelona, for example, oh, are those still on? So sad. Uh, I, I do not <laughs> expect to be at Mobile World Congress uh, this year, Carl, in Barcelona, um, you know, especially with Omicron. So you got to make travel arrangements for these things pretty early. And it's just tough to do when you don't know um, 
what the protocols are going to be, certainly gathering yep. in a place where people are coming from all over the world, you know, and, and piling yeah. into indoor spaces uh, doesn't quite feel it's not that it's a, completely a safety issue. But what are the protocols and testing and how do you have to test in order to get back home? And what does that do to the rest of your plans? Even if you're willing to, you know, if you're vaxxed and boosted like I am and you're more willing to get out there and mingle and deal with the implications, international travel really can throw a monkey wrench in everything else that you want to do. So the calculation, it's hard. Yeah, international, definitely 3D chess, at least right now. We hope things will get better through the course of the year. By the way, two Dow components to watch this morning, Microsoft and Salesforce. Goldman includes them as part of their top picks for 2022. Stocks are both up about 50 and 15 percent, respectively, last year. Uh, Both of them up so far today as TechJet continues after a break. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Resetting here near the bottom of the hour. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa, John Ford, and Julia Borston. Julia's got some more on this dispute between regulators and Verizon, AT&T over 5G in a moment. But first, let's get a news update with our Frank Holland. Hey, Frank. Hey, happy new year, Carl. Here's what's happening at this hour. Airline stocks are among the strongest in the S&P 500 today. United and American Airlines are both up more than 5%. They're getting help from a positive note by MKM Partners that forecasts rebounds in both business and international travel. At the same time, there's no end to the flight disruptions in airports all across the country. Another 2,100 U.S. flights have been canceled today as bad weather and COVID-related worker shortages continue. Pfizer shares giving back some of their recent gains. It's perhaps a sell-on-the-news reaction to the FDA approval of COVID booster shots for 12 to 15-year-olds. Pfizer stock is still up more than 5% over the last month. Chipotle shares are also dragging on the S&P 500 after a really strong December. Chipotle is down about 2% after adding meatless chorizo to its menu nationwide for a limited time. And Starbucks is requiring workers to get fully vaccinated by February the 9th or undergo weekly testing. Unvaccinated employees will be responsible for their own testing. That's the very latest. Deidre, back over to you. Frank, thanks, thanks very much. New year, new portfolio. Is now the time to diversify your invest, investments and add crypto if you didn't already last year. Our next guest separates the good from the bad from the shady. Joining us now, Slow Ventures General Partner and former VP of Product Management at Meta, Sam Lesson. Sam, good morning, and it's great to have you. Let's start with uh, Web3, the idea that the next phase of the internet is going to be decentralized. Uh, there has been such open public 
debates, dispute over this. You've got Jack Dorsey, Boxio, Aaron Levy, even uh, the CEO of Airbnb, Brian Chesky, getting into it last night versus basically Andreessen Horowitz. Why is this topic <laughs> so divisive? Explain that to us in your own words. Yeah, look, I mean, the, the entire history of the Internet has been a debate about centralization and decentralization. Both have merits, both have values. Um, you know, there's not like this time we're going to resolve it. Um, and it's also not like this time there's one answer. There's going to be centralized components. There's going to be decentralized components. And what it really comes down to is what creates better experiences for users that are more trustable, um, that are going to create longer term value. As we move to a world where, you know, especially as COVID drags on, People take their digital lives and their digital identities just as seriously as the physical world, right? So if we believe, as I think many of us do, that we're seeing a, a future of many universes that people care a lot about and spend a lot of time and a lot of their lives living in, inhabiting in, working, you know, whether that's centralized or decentralized, I mean, on one hand, it's a huge deal, so it's worth a lot of discussion. But on the other hand, it's kind of like, let's play that record one more time on which way this goes. Yeah. Now, a lot of the trends are, are very long term. And I guess the idea is that the platforms that are, are mega trillion dollar companies now like Meta and um, Google and Amazon, that they will eventually be displaced. Uh, what kind of do you think that that is sort of a risk factor for these companies? Do you think that as we see crypto and Web3 companies become more mainstream, that this is ultimately where the Internet will be going? I mean, I think it depends how you define Web3. In the end of the day, again, I think whether or not this is a threat to the big companies or an opportunity for them, I mean, the answer is it's both. Um, we are going to see the winds of change coming. You know, there's a lot of really interesting new technologies and opportunities. I mean, the idea that people now feel like owning digital assets can be a major part of their lives, their wealth, and their portfolio is a new deal that's very interesting and I think is very mainstream at this point. The idea that we're going to want immersive experiences where you'll truly live online, at least sub-segments of the population, again, the depth of that is new and important. Um, now, whether the biggest technology players in the world with the best engineers, the most of them, et cetera, get to play a very central role in that, or whether they play a partial role, I think this is you know a multi-trillion dollar question. So again, it's right to be focused on, but I think saying Web3 and crypto is a, you know, the, the death knell for the big technology companies, I think is a little bit myopic. I think the question is, it's a huge opportunity. And if they miss the big turns, they might miss a huge amount of upside. But it's hard to imagine them going away, um, <laughs> you know, just as a lot of traditional companies have done very well, despite the fact they're not Internet companies. Sam, can, can you argue for me why decentralized would win this time? Because I could make it an argument, and, and hey, I will, that, you know, 20 years ago we had LimeWire and eBay and Linus Torvalds, right, that, that were arguing for a less centralized version of, of commerce and distribution. But we ended up with the App Store and Amazon e-commerce and uh, hyperscale cloud winning and sort of yep. adopting a, a lot of that open source technology, but in a more centralized way. Why is that going to be different the next decade? Well, uh, let me give you a few answers. I think one answer is the, the fool me once answer, um, which is, you know, we're seeing successive ways of technology revolutions happen very quickly. And, you know, while this story of centralization and decentralization is as old as capitalism, you know, it's rare that you get to see a generation that saw multiple waves of it so rapidly. So there's an argument that, you know, for those people, many of whom I'm not one of them, but many of whom are very upset about centralization, that to some degree, if you end up with this cycle again, um, you know, the, it is ultimately driven by consumer choice and preference. And we'll see whether that happens. 
Let me give you a more sophisticated answer, though, because I think, you know, you never bank on, on humans getting the right answer here at scale, which is <laughs> the question is all about what features are available and provided and, and what can and can't be done. You know, there's an argument that a lot of what's going on in the crypto world, I'll call it in the freed world, <laughs> the non-app store world, is just able to run so much faster and build different experiences you're never going to get, you know, with centralized players partially because of regulation, partially because of norms for all sorts of reasons, and that that's kind of where a lot of the energy will flow. Um, you know, why is it that you saw last year such excitement from retail investors in the crypto space and not in public equities? Um, I mean, there was some, obviously, with GME, et cetera, mm. but the rate of innovation, the pace of new offerings, the pace of new interesting things to participate in, to invest in, you know, the, the question is whether centralized systems, especially given our, you know, societal regimes will ever be able to keep up. Well, I, but I would argue that the first time around, the reason why the decentralized systems failed is because the user experiences were largely terrible. I mean, you know, Napster, LimeWire, okay. you know, downloading bad songs and, you know, having to worry about getting sued. And Apple is moving even more towards, say, vertical integration. We expect to see even yep. more of their homegrown chips and Macs this year, centralizing the experience even more, uh, what's going to solve that, that user convenience and usability problem with decentralized platforms? Look, I think you're 100% correct, right? I think there's actually, I, I'd add one piece though. There are two things that made centralized players win. One was exactly what you said, which is that they were able to build better integrated vertical experiences. The other was systematic growth, right? And a focus on systematic growth. It is very hard with open source or distributed communities to coordinate the energy necessary to drive a lot of growth. What you're seeing with a lot of modern decentralized platforms, I'll give you Solana, you know, which was, again was you know a seed investment that Solana made. We made several thousand times our money on it, um, you know, from zero. They take growth seriously as a community and as you know an organization. And so I think that's going to be the real question: is you know why Facebook? Why did Facebook win user experience, but also systematic real growth strategies? So I think that that's just changed. There's been an evolution there in terms of how people are looking at this stuff. In terms of user experience, here's the question. Do you pit a thousand or make, make up the number, 10,000 Google engineers versus 3 million uh, you know, global engineers who can now play in, an, in the crypto space? Who wins? It, to be determined. But I would argue that, again, another big difference between then versus now is with crypto, crypto is truly global movement. There are orders of magnitude more developers to play now than there were before. And so actually, if you said, what's the big theme for the year? The big theme for the year in crypto and in, I think, a lot of the metaverse stuff is going to be developer mindshare and tools. Where does, where does the energy go, right? Because I think if you follow developers and where the smartest people are, that's where you're going to get the best experiences this time around. That's fascinating. You know, even as we're speaking, uh, Sam, uh, Jack Dorsey tweets, centralization begets different centralization. Uh, I mean, I just wonder, it's sort of a collective action problem, I guess. It is. And look, I mean, the reality is we're also in an interesting place where technology created all new sorts of uh, like competencies for centralized systems that never existed before. You know, the idea, imagine, you know, think telling someone 20 years ago that if they took a Polaroid photo, they were going to get, you know, it was going to be scanned, analyzed and then seen whether or not it was, you know, an image that you should or should not have. Right now, no one's quite suggesting that yet, but the technology exists. The centralized players are rolling out versions for safety for it. So I think the real question is going to be this. And again, this is not an anti-safety thing. Safety features are important, but there is a really interesting point we exist in, in history right now where you're seeing effectively centralized players have capabilities which scare a lot of people 
have capabilities which are very appealing to security people and, and people who are in certain places, but also are very scary to others in terms of privacy, et cetera. So these really are big cultural wars in a way that like, you know, candidly as a, as a, as a, as a early user of Napster, just were not on the table at that time. Yeah. Uh, Sam, a fascinating discussion, certainly one that we're going to continue to have, I'm sure, all year. Sam Lesson, Slow Ventures. Thanks and happy new year. Thanks so much. Still to come, Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene gets her personal account banned on Twitter. Her political account still active. So does Wall Street Care. Plus, deliberations in the wire fraud trial of Elizabeth Holmes reached day seven. More tech check after this quick break. An ongoing tug-of-war between the telco giants and the FAA over request to delay 5G to address flight safety concerns. Julia Borston joins us now to break down the issue and what's next. Julia? Well, John, this is a battle over the rollout of the 5G technology that is the centerpiece of the telco's future. And this is technology that the FAA is worried could interfere with sensitive aviation equipment. That's why if 5G is deployed, it could lead to flight restrictions starting as soon as this week. Now, Verizon and AT&T rejected Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg and the FAA's request Friday for them to delay their deployment of 5G wireless service for two weeks after their January 5th launch date due to aviation security concerns. Instead, the two telcos that have spent more than $80 billion to acquire 5G licenses in an FCC auction proposing that they limit the deployment of 5G close to airports for six months. AT&T CEO John Stanky and Verizon CEO Hans Vestberg writing in a joint letter that the Transportation Department's proposal would be, quote, an irresponsible abdication of the operating control required to deploy world-class and globally competitive communications networks that are every bit as essential to our country's economic vitality, public safety, and national interests as the airline industry. Now, AT&T and Verizon, which together serve more than half of all U.S. cell phone connections, dispute claims of air safety risks, noting that they've been preparing for 5G deployment for years and that what they're proposing has been used safely in France. Now, the FAA responding, saying, quote, we are reviewing the latest letter from the wireless companies on how to mitigate interference from 5G C-band transmissions. U.S. aviation safety standards will guide our next actions. Now, the FAA notes that the comparison to France isn't quite accurate because the power level for 5G there in France is much lower than what is authorized here in the United States. So now we're awaiting a final decision from the FAA. It has warned that it could be forced to cancel or divert flights that limit the use of systems to rely on those radar systems, guys. This seems wild, Julia, in the sense that, I mean, 5G didn't exactly sneak up on anybody. We've been reporting on this for years and years, and airports are a major place where people get work done, whether it's video conferencing, you know, talking to people who you're going to meet or people who you can't meet because you're going somewhere else. I mean, it's late in the game after you sell the spectrum, after you've seen the plans for these companies, after they started deploying these technologies to say, oh, can you wait? Isn't it? That's it. 
That's exactly the argument that AT&T and Verizon have been making, saying that they've been investing this technology for years. And it was one government body that sold them this spectrum. So on one hand, they're getting limits from the FAA, but they've bought this this spectrum, this 5G spectrum from another government agency. So they're frustrated. They've been working to deploy this safely. But of course, no one wants to have any risk to the safety of flights. And of course, there are already so many issues, Carl, when it comes to airplane delays right now. You can imagine that nobody wants any more delays. Yeah, I I love this line. The laws of physics are the same in the U.S. as they are in France. Uh, Meantime, Julia, uh, Facebook reportedly suspending uh, Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene's account for 24 hours after Twitter permanently banned her over the week following a fifth strike for spreading COVID misinformation. What do we know about uh, both bans here, Julia? Well, what I think is really interesting on the Twitter ban is that one of her accounts is banned on Twitter. The account that was spreading misinformation about COVID was banned, but she still has her congressional account. So her sort of professional account, that one she can still tweet from because that account has not spread any misinformation about COVID. But what I really think is happening here, guys, is this idea that they have these strikes rules, that if you tweet things or if you you share things that are inaccurate and potentially really dangerous, and now, of course, that's really about uh, the pandemic and about vaccination and all of that, if it becomes dangerous, they will enforce their rules. And remember, it was nearly a year ago that Twitter made uh, its ban of President Trump. And so that was really showing that they're willing to ban people who are highly followed, very popular. That account that was banned for Marjorie Taylor Greene had nearly half a million followers. So they are willing to step forward right. and enforce uh, their rules because they don't want to be held, held, you know, made liable, Deirdre. Yeah, and, you know, it looks like uh, Facebook also banned her account. So it raises a lot of questions that, Julia, uh, we're all going to be looking at this upcoming year, especially on the regula- regulation front. Uh, thanks so much for that. Meanwhile, looking for more in the telco trade, Wolf says, look elsewhere when it comes to Altice and Charter this morning, downgrading both over what they expect to be fewer subs in 2022. Altice is up, though Charter is lower by about 1%. Uh, our parent company recommends our parent company, Compast, as an example of a better play in that sector. Tech Check returns after a quick break. Stay with us. Time now for a gut check on a pair of names that Bank of America likes for the first quarter, and that would be CrowdStrike and Viacom. CBS, take a look at CrowdStrike. It is down 30 percent from its November peak. B of A likes the cybersecurity firm, though, setting a price target of $315. They see limited competition for cloud-based endpoint solutions amid an evolving threat landscape. As for Viacom, they say that you should own it, but they're bullish for different reasons. They believe that Viacom is an attractive candidate to be bought by another platform. Price target set for $53 and that stock up better than 7% in today's session, Carl. Yeah, getting a lot of attention today, Dee. Uh, when we come back, uh, insider sales hit a new record in 2021 with several tech execs leading the way there. Is that a sign of a top or just the rich getting richer? We're going to debate that after a short break. Yeah, they always say they're just rebalancing their portfolios, but we are looking at record insider sales for tech execs. Is it a sign of the top? Our Robert Frank breaks it down. Robert. 
Yeah, John, or they sometimes say financial planning, prudent financial planning. Well, corporate insiders sold more stock than ever last year. CEOs, executives and board members sold over $170 billion of their stock in 2021. That's according to data from Smart Insider. Their sales were up 80 percent over 2020, more than two and a half times the pre-pandemic level. So let's look at the top five. Elon Musk, of course, as we talked a lot about, he was the largest seller with over $16 billion dollars. Jeff Bezos in second place at $10 billion. The Walton family selling nearly $8 billion of Walmart stock. Mark Zuckerberg cashed out $4.5 billion of shares in Meta. That's eight times his 2020 sales. Then Google founders Larry Page and Sergey Brin unloading $1.8 billion each. Some other names in tech, Larry Ellison, Mark Benioff, Alex Karp, Palantir, and Satya Nadella selling $374 million of Microsoft. That's more than half of his total stake. Now, the big question is whether all this insider trading signals a potential market top. Daniel Taylor at the Wharton School, who studies insider selling, says decades of research shows that corporate insiders buy near bottoms and sell near the peak. The sales may have also been driven by taxes, with investors getting ahead of potentially higher tax rates this year. So guys, lots of cross currents here, lots of reasons for them to sell. But the bottom line, a huge increase by insiders and stock sales for what was a great year in many of their stocks. Yeah, the, the, a lot of the names that you mentioned, Robert, though, are, you know, their founders, their tech entrepreneurs like Musk and Bezos, who have been taking money out, at least in the case of Bezos, to fund other projects. So uh, some asterisks here, right? I mean, would it be more concerning if we saw more operators take money out? We know that uh, some of the names are simply creating new businesses. They're potentially creating more wealth with this money that they're taking out. Yeah, and there are lots of reasons for this. In Musk's case, it was he took $5 billion off the table and about $11 billion to pay taxes. And a lot of that was that options grant rather than funding his other business. Bezos, as you says, is, is funding space. But lumped all together, these numbers are just large. And a lot of them, like Satya Nadella, he is an operator manager. That was mm-hmm. just a straight out sale, not connected to another business. So, again, a reason for investors to yep. pay attention. It's a good point, and it is a remarkably large number when you put it in perspective like that. Uh, Robert Frank, thank you. Meanwhile, New Year, new habits. Make sure that one of them is listening to Tech Check, the podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in just a moment. One more thing, a streaming shakeup among this year's most downloaded apps falling out of the top 10, both Netflix and Disney Plus in their place, HBO Max, as we are going to pay a lot of attention, uh, John, to this, uh, th- these trends, especially given sort of the disruption of Omicron, people staying at home. Jim was talking this morning about how many things you can possibly watch if you're quarantining, even for five days instead of 10. I'm going to try to bring this full circle. We started the show, D, talking about centralization versus decentralization. Streaming and social are a great example. Remember when people pirated movies or when they had web pages and blogs where they posted <laughs> stuff? Now they're doing it on these platforms. Right. There's, there's so many to choose from, Carl. I will say that five days quarantining, you can get through a lot. I will tell you from personal experience. Uh, of all of a sudden, YouTube, though, <laughs> the underrated player in streaming, these Stats have to be taken with a grain of salt, but still YouTube jumping up there is is fascinating. Yeah. 
Uh, busy week ahead, guys, with some ISMs and, of course, Jobs Friday. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.